Hello everyone and welcome to our latest International Disputes Digest podcast. My name is David Bridge, I'm a partner and solicitor advocate in the London office at CMS and today we're going to be talking about the European Public Prosecutor's Office with two of my colleagues, Horia and Mihai from our Bucharest office. Uh, Horia is a partner and the head of the litigation and arbitration team in Bucharest. He's got over 16 years experience and is a key member of the white collar crime and investigations team in Romania. And he's got a lot of experience dealing with criminal cases and investigations, regularly supporting clients in their negotiation, settlement discussions and crisis management. Mihai uh, specializes in criminal law and has got significant experience advising on corruption, economic crimes, money laundering cases, as well as cybercrime and computer frauds, advising uh, national and international companies on uh, all kinds of issues and representation before the state authorities. So welcome, Mihai, and hello, Horia. I'm going to say a few words about the European Public Prosecutor's Office just by way of introduction. Uh, and for those of you that don't know, the uh, EPPO, as we're going to refer to it, is a new body of the European Union, uh, which is going to start from the 1st of June this year and focus on investigating, prosecuting and bringing to judgment offences affecting the financial interests of the EU. So the EPPO uh, central office will be based in Luxembourg and it's got a new European uh, chief prosecutor for the first time, who is uh, Laura Kodruta Kuveshi, uh, who is coming to the post, and she has come from being the general prosecutor of Romania, uh, where she was also the chief prosecutor of the National Anti-Corruption Directorate, which is uh, Romania's uh, specialist unit um, tasked with investigating corruption crimes and crimes against the financial interests of the EU. Now, if we just go back in time a little bit, this uh, new role and the EPPO has been, according to the reports, uh, sometime in the making. And as way back as 2013, there were some investigations about uh, the handling of EU funds. And around that time, it was reported that roughly 1.5 billion euros may have been affected by reporting irregularities. And uh, until 2018, when the investigations into that concluded, um, there was a recommendation uh, from the European Anti-Fraud Office to recover some 371 million from the EU budget. And I think it's fair to say that these are big decisions taken at EU level, and they do often take a lot of time to evolve. And indeed, the idea of the EPPO has taken some time to come to fruition. So, Horia, I wonder if you could just give us uh, a snapshot of um, the background to all of this in terms of you know how it started out and where we've come to today. Thank you, David. The idea of the EPPO started to crystallize like 25 years uh, ago, but only in 2012, uh, the discussion became more concrete and the EU states started to uh, discuss about an uh, EU-wide uh, regulation regarding the EPPO. And in uh, 2017, a regulation was uh, enacted and uh, 16 uh, member states uh, origi who originally uh, signed off for this EPPO uh, joined this, uh, this system and uh, another states uh, year after year 
uh, additionally joined. Now at this stage, we are having like 22 uh, EU states uh, who are uh, part of the EPPO uh, with uh, more to come, we, uh, we hope. For the moment, only Hungary, Poland and uh, Sweden are not part of this uh, mechanism, but they can opt in. Uh, and uh, Denmark and Ireland are cannot opt because they are not part of the area of freedom, security and, uh, and justice. And uh, just uh, recently, for example, uh, Hungary uh, signed a working arrangement on cooperation and information uh, exchange to facilitate the investigation and uh, prosecution. Uh, considering the, the current uh, pandemic situation and the massive uh, EU funds uh, to be granted to the EU states uh, regarding the, the resilience uh, mechanism, uh, we consider that uh, the EPPO will become more and more important and uh, one day or another all EU states will, uh, will join and also uh, another uh, uh, states uh, outside of uh, EU will somehow uh, uh, cooperate uh, for, uh, for helping this, uh, this body to become uh, uh, effective. So that's very interesting. It sounds like um, matters are moving in the right direction. Now, some people might be a little bit confused because there are various different organisations at a European level um, that um, have a structure that's not obviously uh, clear what it is. So just to help people, uh, Mihai, uh, could you just explain a little bit about the European Anti-Fraud Office uh, the European Agency for Criminal Justice Cooperation and how that interacts with the European Police Office. Um, yes, well, I think that uh, it is very clear uh, that the need for uh, such a new uh, institution uh, ultimately got us here and uh, I think that uh, uh, also obvious uh, that EPVO was designed to uh, be an instrument for combating the crime uh, such as fraud, corruption and cross-border VAT fraud mainly. Um, that was because uh, the existing bodies that uh, you already mentioned were not able to entirely conduct, <coughs> apologies for that, to entirely conduct criminal investigation uh, or to prosecute such cases. So <coughs> one of the key features for uh, EPPO over the existing investigative bodies is represented by uh, its ability to conduct the investigation in a coordinated manner uh, based on a common European uh, investigation and prosecution strategy. Uh, this shall decrease also uh, the timeless of uh, proceedings while optimizing the results. So although the EPPO um, will not be able to um, perform the entire proceedings from uh, beginning to end uh, in a criminal case, uh, in terms of having a full picture on the criminal investigation while operating as a single office without any procedural or uh, language barriers. Okay, understood. And it certainly sounds like a, a very ambitious project um, and can be quite complicated, I would imagine. So how do we think the uh, EPPO is going to achieve its goal? 
Well, uh, first of all, I think that uh, the amount of uh, resources that has been allocated or will be allocated to uh, this body would certainly help. But uh, I think everything starts with the, the concept uh, of creating GPPO uh, that follows the lead of already established uh, institution. Uh, so EPPO is basically built on two levels, uh, the strategical level and the operational level. So uh, the strategic level, level is composed of uh, the European chief prosecutor that you already mentioned, and uh, which is currently uh, Laura Korduzakiove. She was appointed for a mandate of uh, six years. And uh, she's responsible for uh, managing uh, EPPO and organizing its work. Uh, also, from this strategic level, uh, a part of that uh, and a significant part and an important role will be allocated to the College of Prosecutors, which uh, are responsible for decision making uh, on strategic matters. That would be uh, the first level. And um, the European prosecutor uh, for this college uh, of uh, prosecutor, each of the member states will delegate uh, a prosecutor uh, that would be appointed uh, to be a part of the of the college. On the operational level, uh, we will have uh, the European delegated prosecutor, which is responsible for conducting the criminal investigation uh, in the uh, respective jurisdiction, and also the prosecution and bringing to, to judgment the cases uh, falling within the EPPO's competence. That would be uh, the local uh, uh, interface between the national authorities and EPPO. So, uh, also, uh, in this second level, we will have uh, permanent chambers which will monitor and direct the investigation and prosecutions as well as take operational decisions. So, uh, everybody has its role and uh, hopefully there will be no uh, miscommunication and uh, everything will uh, run smoothly. That is at least the expectation. Well, let's hope so. I mean, it's certainly a number of different structures there. And I can see the need for everything to be run very efficiently across a number of national jurisdictions. Um, just playing devil's advocate, is there a challenge perhaps where you're dealing with local political or, or, or differing legal environments that's going to make it harder for the EPPO to be successful? Horia, what do you think? Uh, there is always uh, a risk that uh, there will be some uh, local political uh, interference uh, especially because the operational uh, structure is still at the local uh, level and uh, somehow these uh, prosecutors, uh, uh, the EPPO prosecutors are part of a former uh, national uh, investigative uh, uh, body. So at least at a human level, there will still be some, uh, some connections. But uh, nevertheless, uh, the way the EPPO was uh, conceived should protect it very well uh, because uh, none of the EU institution nor the national institution have any authority on the EPPO prosecutors. So they are totally independent and, and this should uh, preserve a high uh, level of uh, integrity and independence of, of these uh, prosecutors. Also, if an EPPO prosecutor takes uh, an uh, investigation, the national authorities should, should stand back uh, from making uh, any uh, related uh, investigation regarding the deeds uh, investigating by the EPPO. Also, the, the national institution will have to report to uh, EPPO any relevant criminal conduct 
in uh, matters including included in the jurisdiction of the uh, EPPO. So uh, although there is uh, some degree of, uh, let's say, integration between the EPPO and, and the local investigative bodies, they have, uh, EPPO has sufficient uh, means to, to preserve its independence. Okay, that's, that's really clear. Um, and just in terms of the division of responsibility between um, the member states and, and the EPPO, um, how do you see it working, Mihal? Well, uh, at the first glance, obviously, there might be a conflict between uh, what EPPO has to has to do and uh, what the national authorities still uh, perform on daily basis. Uh, but uh, the situation is not uh, that uh, that difficult, and uh, it can be a very distinct, uh, a very clear separation between uh, the two uh, jurisdictions. Let's say uh, I see them as working together very well, and um, from my point of view, uh, as the European delegated prosecutor will carry out his activities uh, hand in hand with the, at least the national police or other enforcement agencies, uh, he will be able to undertake investigation measures or to instruct competent authorities in uh, the, the member states. Uh, also, uh, there are a series of investigation measures that uh, are relevant uh, that the member states must ensure during the, during the investigation, such as search warrants, uh, production of evidence, or uh, intercepting, intercepting uh, communication, um, track and trace of objects, or freezing instrumentalities, or even um, uh, obtaining financial data. This will remain at the national authorities level and will be provided upon request to the EPPO prosecutor, to the delegate uh, prosecutor. Um, on the other hand, uh, certain aspects are limited to national authorities and are to be done exclusively by the national authorities, uh, as if EPPO will not uh, uh, only be able to request national authorities to arrest people or um, uh, at least uh, that part of the a procedure will be uh, performed uh, only in accordance with the applicable national law. Uh, EPPO will not have such competence uh, or uh, will not have uh, relevant bodies or attributions uh, for implementing such measures. So upon request, the national authorities will uh, implement or uh, will uh, uh, dispose as uh, the courts uh, will, will order that. Uh, when being asked by uh, by EPPO, or in certain cases uh, also, uh, if uh, during an investigation they will find out that uh, certain individuals are not present in the member state where the um, delegated uh, prosecutor is uh, located, uh, that prosecutor could uh, address a request to the competent authorities in another member state through uh, his colleagues, and uh, that will be the way to proceed in order to obtain an, an issue, an European arrest warrant. Okay, so um, it sounds like uh, the national authorities have got an important role to play. And um, as, as I mentioned at the beginning, currently in Romania, uh, one has the National Anti-Corruption Directorate, which is the prosecution unit specialising in investigating corruption crimes and crimes against the financial interests of the EU. Uh, and, and in all member states, of course, there are prosecution bodies that currently have this sort of experience. Um, OLAF, for example, has local national structures with specific attributions in protecting EU funds. Um, how do you think all of these institutions are going to accommodate and work with the EPPO at the national level? 
Uh, well, from what we already observed uh, since uh, the beginning of uh, this institution, or since we first have the first glance of uh, uh, the principle of, of this institution, uh, it was obvious that there are certain points that are common uh, for this institution with the local authorities, with OLAF and so on. But uh, the way uh, it uh, it is reglemented at, at this moment, uh, I think everything will uh, work out just fine and uh, they will not enter uh, or eat out uh, each other's uh, attributions. I think that uh, at the national uh, level, all types of offenses at this moment against the financial interest in uh, of the European Union are, as you said, in Romania investigated currently by uh, the National Anti-Corruption Directorate. And this is the specialized prosecution office uh, that also investigates corruption offices such as bribery or abuse of office or uh, whatever connected crimes. Um, I think that uh, the European uh, Anti-Fraud Office, or OLAF as it's uh, known, on the other hand, uh, they are conducting ad administrative investigations uh, and uh, they do not have the power of uh, law enforcement and uh, is not in charge of any prosecution at the national level. They are only performing their own uh, financial investigation, obtain data, data and uh, that uh, information is provided to the national uh, uh, local authorities at this moment. Uh, following the investigations performed, they issue reports comprising financial, judicial or disciplinary uh, recommendations uh, to the competent uh, authorities. I think that uh, it is obvious that considering uh, the above, uh, EPBO is expected to have uh, quite a big impact. Uh, as well as uh, it will be the it will have the competence to investigate or to prosecute and ultimately to bring to judgment money laundering, corruption uh, crimes, and uh, other specific crimes committed against the budget of the European Union. So, as opposed to Olaf, uh, they will be able to perform and follow through with the investigation from the beginning all the way to uh, bringing in front of justice at the local level, of course, uh, of the of the perpetrators. So, uh, at least at this moment, from what we have been able to see in the media, according to public statements, EPBO and OLAF will avoid duplication of their work, and uh, they should establish a close cooperation aimed at uh, ensuring the complementarity of their mandates. Uh, OLAF, uh, for instance, will not open any administrative investigation parallel to an investigation conducted by EPPO on the same facts, and uh, the latter may request uh, the former to support or complement uh, um, its activity. So, from this perspective, uh, there is uh, a clear cooperation uh, principle between uh, the three institutions, and from what we can anticipate, uh, at least at the national level, uh, EPPO will uh, act as a hierarchically superior prosecution office for DNA, and uh, this institution, EPPO, uh, may decide whether to exercise his right to take over certain investigation, of course, if permitted by uh, uh, the law and uh, if they have in their competence, uh, the, their material competence, uh, the right to, to investigate specific, specific file. Uh, if they decide to do that, obviously DNA or the National Anti-Corruption Directorate at the national level uh, will have to transfer the file to EPPO and refrain from carrying out any further investigation um, activities in the same, uh, in respect to the same uh, offense. So, nevertheless, I think that uh, we should also remind uh, ourselves that uh, 
for Romania, uh, besides Mrs. Kyoveshi, uh, a number of uh, six prosecutors uh, have been appointed to EPPO, and uh, at least four of them, from what we know, uh, came directly from the National Anti-Corruption Directorate. So one would expect uh, a smooth transition from the national prosecution body to, to EPPO, in which they uh, will activate for the next uh, six years, perhaps. Okay, and um, given the importance of the endeavour, and of course, I think we're all in agreement that the EPPO is going to have an important role in investigating serious crimes with serious financial impact. One can imagine they're going to have a lot of resources at their disposal. Um, and uh, if one puts oneself in the position, perhaps, of the parties being investigated, um, it could be said that there's an imbalance in terms of resources and it might be quite difficult. Um, if you are the party that's facing this investigation to ensure that you get the right team on board and you can argue all the points you need to. And um, how, how do we address that, Horia? Is, is that a fair um, assumption to, 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 to put or, or, or are things more, more evenly balanced than that? David, at the first glance, uh, you are uh, right uh, because uh, everyone might see the EPPO like an elite uh, squad with the best of the best prosecutors of uh, of the world uh, uh, fighting uh, against uh, a poor, let's say, uh, defendants. But when you look at the object matter of their jurisdiction with the uh, uh, frauds in excess of 10 million uh, euros, uh, one should also take into account that they are dealing also with sophisticated perpetrators. And uh, also this, uh, the guarantees uh, provided by the EU regulation on EPPO, like the right to, uh, to defense, the right to be, uh, to be heard, and all the other protections uh, uh, provided and guaranteed by the European Convention on Human Rights, and also based on the decisions of the European Court of uh, Human Rights in, uh, in specific uh, uh, cases, uh, the situation is not as unbalanced as it seems at uh, first uh, sight. And uh, given that we are talking about uh, uh, projects, uh, EU projects which uh, are uh, most likely cross-jurisdictional because uh, are, there are various uh, uh, stakeholders, uh, providers, uh, beneficiaries coming from all over uh, uh, Europe. Um, you uh, you always uh, need also a, a law firm which can operate in uh, in these various uh, jurisdictions. And uh, uh, generally, the international law firms uh, are uh, are better placed. In, uh, in defending uh, this uh, this type of uh, of allegations and uh, uh, and investigation, but also the given that uh, the the mechanism of defense is uh, well structured and is very uh, transparent, also the let's say the only the local uh, lawyers could also play uh, play quite an uh, quite an important uh, role. So uh, all in all, 
uh, I would not say that uh, it's uh, it's a fight between uh, David and uh, and Goliath, <laughs> so uh, so to speak. So uh, also the the defendants uh, have have a lot of uh, uh, procedural uh, guarantees uh, uh, in front of them. Okay, understood. Uh, and and Mihai, you know, Hori is not just saying this because, of course, we're, we're talking about, you know, our experience from CMS and, you know, as one of the largest law firms in Europe. Um, there, there's a distinction there, isn't there? I mean, there are, you know, new tools available to enable the process to run, you know, fairly and smoothly. Uh, yes, when uh, this institution was established, uh, a number of guarantees uh, went also uh, in the in the making because uh, the right of uh, the person uh, still needs to needs to exist and needs to be observed. And this institution cannot function outside the uh, European uh, Chart of Human Rights. But just to give you an example, uh, I think that the, uh, how this institution is conceived, uh, one of the main tools for the data management in uh, within EPPO uh, investigation will be the case management system, uh, or CMS as is uh, abbreviated. And this is just a coincidence with the, <laughs> the company that we are activating in. Uh, so this instrument uh, will allow the prosecutors uh, and the lawyers and all the other specialists involved in the investigation uh, to have access to all documents, all information and the activities performed in connection with the specific case. So from the beginning and throughout the entire investigation, all the interested parties will have access to, to the information according to the procedural rules, both national and also uh, the ones established uh, through the establishment of, uh, of uh, EPPO. So uh, I think that although the management, uh, the case management system is mainly dedicated for the ease of uh, access of the prosecutors to all the pieces of the files they are investigating, uh, this will also comprise uh, an, an electronic format of the investigation file and uh, the access of suspected or accused person as well as uh, of other persons involved in the proceedings uh, to this uh, electronic file is granted by the European delegated prosecutor investigating the case, uh, of course, in accordance with the national legal provision of the member state in which uh, the said prosecutor is located. So according to the public information available, uh, CMS is already in place and is ready to be used. So we do have another guarantee of the right of defense and ease of access to the entire file. Uh, one more thing I would like to add on this topic, also there is a provision by which uh, uh, a suspected person or uh, an accused has the right to have at least one lawyer in each jurisdiction in case we are facing an investigation that spreads across uh, borders. So uh, this is another guarantee that uh, one person uh, may be assisted by a local lawyer and have another lawyer assisting him uh, in, uh, in another member state in which the investigation also takes place. Okay, and that's very reassuring. Um, and just on the subject of um, making sure the investigations are conducted properly, um, Horia, can you talk to us through the, the main kind of checks and balances and control mechanisms that might be in place to ensure that the EPPO doesn't overstep the mark? Uh, indeed, the, any any acts of uh, the EPPO which uh, impact uh, third parties' uh, rights are subject to the control of the uh, national courts 
in accordance with the local legal uh, provisions. So the national legal framework has a very important uh, role. Uh, in addition, uh, the existence of uh, particular cases in which the national provisions are not applicable or, uh, let's say, are, uh, are silent, uh, then we will have to apply the general rules and uh, principles of the European Convention on uh, Human Rights uh, and the decisions uh, of the European Court of Human Rights uh, and also the decision of the Court of Justice of the European uh, Union. And uh, basically, this is a common practice in uh, all European jurisdictions to ask for guidance of the Court of Justice of the European Union in cases where the national laws are uh, unclear or are contradicting the EU legal framework. Uh, moreover, uh, according to the Council regulation establishing uh, EPPO, the Court of Justice of the European Union uh, has also jurisdiction to deliver preliminary decision on the validity of the procedural acts of uh, EPPO if they are challenged before uh, national, national courts uh, uh, on the basis of the EU uh, laws provision, uh, but also on the interpretation of the validity of the EU laws and uh, the interpretation of the provisions uh, regarding the uh, uh, rules of conflicts of uh, jurisdiction between uh, EPPO and uh, uh, national authorities uh, having uh, jurisdiction in, uh, in criminal uh, matters. Also, the Court of Justice of the European Union is uh, also competent to solve uh, any disputes uh, resulting from the uh, damages caused by, uh, by the EPPO or uh, from uh, the arbitration clauses mentioned in the contracts concluded by the uh, EPPO or also any litigation uh, concerning the EPPO uh, personnel or determination of the European chief prosecutor or other European uh, prosecutors. Um, all in all, uh, there is uh, a broad uh, a new um, ambit of uh, jurisdiction gained by the uh, Court of Justice of the European uh, Union and we'll have to see uh, if uh, the, the workload uh, uh, of the Court of Justice of the European Union uh, can uh, bear, let's say, this uh, estimated avalanche of, of new petitions uh, uh, brought uh, by the activities of the, of the EPPO. Well, let's hope so. Um, I think what I'm hearing, and, and in summary, is that the EPPO is going to have the ability to conduct these new investigations in a coordinated manner now, um, based on a, a joined up European investigation and prosecution strategy, which is hopefully going to save some time. Um, and um, you very helpfully explained that there are enough kind of checks and balances to ensure that it doesn't overstep the mark and avoids potential abuse. Is, is that a fair summary and conclusion, uh, Mikhail? Uh, yes, we, we fully agree and uh, hopefully this activity of EPPO will remain within the lawfulness limits uh, set by the current EU legal frame. 
Uh, it is to be expected, however, for specific issues to occur along the implementation of the EPPO procedures, uh, mainly due to the particularities of the national laws. But uh, also, I think, uh, in the process of establishing the competence of uh, European delegated prosecutors uh, between multiple jurisdictions, for instance. And I think that for uh, investigations cross-border, uh, that would be also an issue. Uh, we have to take in consideration the fact that uh, uh, we have to take into consideration the fact that uh, uh, even the, the defense teams might have a significant interest in uh, uh, the assignment of a particular case to a specific European delegated prosecutors uh, due to potential benefits uh, that the suspects or accused person might uh, have in uh, some of the applicable jurisdictions. And I'm uh, referring to a particular case just for an example uh, as uh, how things work, a particularity of the legal system in Romania. Um, when discussing about the competence, the material competence of EPPO, uh, we are discussing about uh, some uh, conditions to, to be met. And uh, regarding the VAT operation, for instance, um, the law provides uh, a requirement for uh, a prejudice in excess of 10 million euros. So um, the notion of this total damage refers to the estimated damage that results from the entire fraud scheme, both to the financial interest of uh, the member states concerned and uh, to the union, uh, excluding interests and penalties and, and penalties. Uh, as opposed to the national Romanian law, when assessing the prejudice for uh, VAT fraud, uh, this notion of uh, interest and penalties uh, can adapt to uh, the entire uh, value of the of the prejudice. So, from uh, our perspective, it might uh, seem fair and perhaps interesting for our clients uh, to choose not the uh, national uh, legal frame but to uh, try to uh, assign uh, a different uh, European delegated prosecutor to perform the investigation due to the particularities and the potential benefits, at least in the assessment of the prejudice that another jurisdiction might, uh, might have. So from this point on, I think that uh, our discussion can become quite uh, technical and uh, somehow exceeds the intention for this podcast, but hopefully we raise the, the interest and uh, shed some light also uh, on this uh, institution. I think that obviously uh, we are prepared to advise and to assist our clients in relation with the EPPO and we'll be happy also to, to respond to all potential specific uh, questions related to this new European institution. Well, that's great. And, and thank you very much, Hoya, and thank you, Mihai, um, for a very interesting discussion. Uh, I learned a lot about the subject matter. Um, as you said, Mihai, if there are any further questions, please do not hesitate to get in touch with either Mihai, Hoya or myself. Or you can read about this subject in more detail at uh, our website, cms.law, where uh, Hoya and Mihai have written an excellent article on the subject uh, in our latest International Disputes Digest. So thank you everyone for listening. Thank you.